Hi, this is your host, Pete Bloom. Welcome to American Heroes Network. Our core mission is serving the brave men and women who have sacrificed to ensure our freedom. You will hear true stories from those that have served, learn about veteran organizations and resources, and gain hope for your future knowing American Heroes Network, your community, and other veterans are here and at the ready to serve and help you and your family. We will talk about the hard topics like PTSD and TBI. You will also hear military history, inspirational stories, learn about networking with the community, and more. So come join us and be part of our family. Today's guest is a retired Army colonel who has led a 5,000-person infantry brigade. He understands people, and his passion is to make a difference in the lives of others through optimistic leadership. He's the author of It's Personal, Not Personnel, Leadership Lessons for the Battlefield and the Boardroom. He's founder and CEO of Investing in People Consulting and Coaching, and he's the executive director of vet to ceo I would like to welcome Rob Campbell. Rob, thank you for serving, and how are you doing today? I'm great, Pete. Great to be on your program. So, Rob, over and over again, I see your message of investing in people. And with everything you do, you make that a part of it, whether it's consulting, coaching, or being a public speaker. And I think that is a powerful and positive message, and I want to make that a big part of what we talk about today. But first, I'd like you to tell us about your military career. I know you started out as an infantry officer and have served in Iraq and Afghanistan, but there is so much more to tell. Yeah, long story. I'll try to keep it short for podcast purposes. But I uh, stumbled across the Army in college, ran out of money. You know, it was this a uh, late 80s, and um, my dad was a reservist and, you know, always wanted to be independent. That was a great way to pay for my education. So signed up for the Army National Guard. I didn't make the basketball team a freshman year in college, and it really was a turning point in my life. I needed to find something else and stumbled into the Army a bit. I enlisted in 1987 and I joined the Army National Guard ROTC and decided, you know, I really like this. I want to do this. So I, when I graduated in 1990, I went off into the infantry on active duty and did 27 years. I climbed all, all the ranks through lieutenant all the way up to colonel in the infantry. I did some, uh, served in uh, airborne units and light infantry units and Army Ranger, paratrooper, all those things. Did all the things that a typical Army infantry officer would do. It's very fortunate to have the privilege to command at several levels, like the company and then also battalion and really brigade was the hallmark assignment for me. Took my wife and I and my two sons through a 27-year journey doing all that. It was never really the big plan to stay and be a career officer. I guess I just worked hard and contributed and, you know, did my job. And the Army rewarded me with some really fantastic assignments and locations. But after Brigade Command, it was the first time where my career, my path, and the Army's path started to diverge. And that's where my wife and I decided to kind of travel our own and decided to retire and transition out. But great career, 27 years. I do it all over again. Met some incredible people, amazing experiences, free combat tours, and just, you know, a variety of different assignments and a lot of people I'm still connected with. Do you have like a most memorable time in the military of maybe a thing that happened, a place that you went to that was something that really stands out in your mind? Yeah. Well, actually, there's so many of them. You know, I think really combat was the crucible for me, you know, being in a place. I tell a lot of people, you know, I was a modern 21st century warrior from the most modern developed country on the planet, standing in literally the 17th century, you know, in Afghanistan. And it were those moments where I was just scratching my head trying to figure out how could I even begin to understand these people and their grievances and desires and all that. So uh, it was an awakening for me to kind of 
I guess transition from you know more conventional type warfare, tank on tank, soldier on soldier, to into more of a counterinsurgent, asymmetric type of warfare, where understanding population became the target of the day and really understanding what they were going through. So it was a great learning point. I think one of the biggest awakenings for me happened after my tour in Afghanistan in 2009 as a battalion commander. I went to a training center. I linked up with a civilian there, Jim Durlis. Never served a day in uniform, but he had a lot of time in government and was a PhD and a very smart guy. And he and I really got together, kind of I was able to reflect back on what I did right and wrong, kind of an awakening into what modern warfare really is. So that's one of dozens of amazing experiences that I had. Myself, I only did 11 years, and then there's a lot of people that did even less than that. They might have done one tour, and you having 27 years of experience, I'm sure you have so many different things that you could talk about, and that could be a whole other show. You could start your own show, but I just really want to impress upon people the things that you've been through and the knowledge that you have based on experience. Yeah. When you got out of the military, Rob, was it easy for you? Was it hard for you? Did you find it challenging returning to civilian life after so many years yeah. in the military? It was very hard. Harder than I had expected, I guess. I mean, think about it, Pete, 27 years, you know, you're institutionalized in something that is very small and very predictable. Sure, we moved around a lot, but I could go from base to base and knew exactly what I needed to do. I saw my career ahead of me. I never worried about things like healthcare and all the other stuff that you have to on the outside. I was ingrained as a military officer. Eric Burleson wrote a book about transitioning from service, and he really highlighted it for me several months back when I talked to him, is that the Army had these grooves in my brain, my, you know, my neurons that were wired as an Army colonel to operate that way. And it worked while in uniform. And in the transition, as I came out, I was in a whole new world, operating like an Army colonel in a town that was far removed from the military. It just didn't work. So it was a leap for not only myself, but my wife in this new space that we were into. So yeah, it was hard, hard for a lot of reasons. It was traumatic. I mean, that's a heavy word to throw out there, but that's exactly what it is. When you transition out, even if you did eight or nine years, you become ingrained in something because the military does a really good job of getting this stuff into your DNA. And you transition into something drastically different. And you realize just how small the military community is. I wrote in my book, you could fit the entire active duty force inside the city of Sacramento, California. Not a huge city the entire active duty force. That's how small we are. Then you break that down into the services and the infantry and paratroopers, all that. So you get into really small, tight-knit groups of tiny people. Now you're out in this vast ocean of society, and it's very hard to navigate. We could fill a podcast just with this topic alone. But I found it difficult. One of the big things for me was I didn't really have anything to reference as I transitioned. There were plenty of checklists, go do this, fill this out, you know, all those things, it was easy. They had all that set up, but really no philosophy or perspective. Okay, how do you do this as an army colonel that has just been all in on the service and now has to transition into something completely different? And I reached out to a lot of people that were ahead of me in the journey, but there was just nothing there for me to reference. That's why I ended up writing my second book about it. But it was tough, Pete, and it still is in many ways. I'm almost four years transitioned, and there are still things that are difficult. Besides the focus that you're talking about and, you know, trying to figure out what to do, being a colonel and then coming out and just trying to deal with the civilian world and the way you need to fit into it, could you pinpoint any other challenges that you faced that might be helpful to veterans? It's the question we get asked as we transition, which is the wrong question. Pete, thanks for your service. You did eight years or 30 years or whatever it is. What do you want to do? 
There's the question, right? That's what we get asked. What do you want to do now? What do you want to be and what is it you want to do? The question we really need to ask ourselves is who are you? You know, because the military tells you who you are. Pete, here's your military occupational skill, your MOS. Shut up and move out. And I'm simplifying that a little bit, but frankly, that's what it was. I was an infantry officer and I knew exactly what was expected of me. On the outside, it's a blank sheet of paper. And it's a scary space. You wouldn't think that I'm a combat veteran. I've been surrounded by terrorists. I could face down anything, but this is new space for me. And I think a lot of veterans, as they transition, me included, might latch on to that first thing like a paycheck. And they wind up doing something they're not truly passionate about as they come out. There is no magic sauce of how I was designated as an infantry officer. It wasn't any kind of passion alignment. Oh, Rob, this is why you're placed on the earth. This is what you need to do. And so a lot of us come out and because we were a certain MOS, everyone expects that's what we love doing. That's what we need to go do. And frankly, we ourselves come to believe that and latch on to the wrong thing. I talked to veteran after veteran that makes this mistake and grabs onto something. So it was really the why versus the what as you transition. I was fortunate because I had gone through a self-awareness introspection seminar before I took Brigade Command called True Growth. Out of that came that core purpose, which you read at the very beginning, make a difference in the lives of others through optimistic leadership. I knew I needed to do that. I didn't know exactly how or where, but then I wrote my book on leadership and decided, well, I'll open up an LLC and do that. I get a lot of fulfillment out of that, but it's a tough journey being an entrepreneur. I know we're going to talk about that a little bit, but it's that question. And I think a lot of people really, I mean, you know, I'm 49 years old when I retire. You think I'd have it all figured out. I'm a seasoned, you know, parent officer, older man, been through a lot of rigors in life. No, <laughs> tough one. You know, I find that really interesting. And the perspective that you have when you point it out is, you know, that that is my identity from the military. That is mm -hmm. who they made me to be. But, you know, what am I really in answering that question? And, yeah. you know, that's actually one of the reasons that I got out at 11 years. I was actually up for Gunny. And if I had stayed in, I would have been promoted to Gunny. And I just really, I mean, I loved logistics. It was great. But I loved working on computers more. And so I actually asked the military, can I transition from the logistics MOS to the IT MOS? And they're like, you've already got a job. No, we're not going to do that. Not, not to mention that, but everybody in the military wants to be an IT person right now. Right. So I kind of knew what I wanted to do. And so that was probably a little more helpful for me because you know, I knew I liked IT and wanted to work on computers. I wanted to work on websites. And then mm -hmm. I got out and I have made my goal to do that. And I'm still doing things like that today. But most people that I do talk to, like yourself, they don't have an answer to that question. Oh. And, you know, every month I'm on McDill Air Force Base with Project Transition USA, teaching them how to use LinkedIn and network and transition. And that question gets asked and half the class does not have any idea no. what they want to do. So it's very interesting. So that is such an important thing. And so I'm glad you mentioned it. And, and hopefully it gives people something to really think about. In my, all my career, you know, every now and then you get to group with a, get together with a bunch of officers or senior enlisted, you know, they, so what are you going to do when it's all over? Because we knew that it was going to end at some point. You can't soldier forever. And, you know, to a man, to a woman, it was like, I don't have a clue. Not a clue. And that was the answer all the way through. But then now you're forced to answer that question. And man, it's tough. So you found something you were passionate about. And you listened to that inner voice. Another people might have said, well, can't do that in the Marines. And they just want me to continue on and be a gunny. So I got to stay and do that. And you might have found unhappiness. 
I know that you basically have built your company around helping people, I think, figure out who they are, coaching and consulting them and all that kind of stuff. So I'd really like you to talk about your company, which is investing in people, consulting mm -hmm. and coaching, and why you're so driven to help people. Yeah, well, um, it's an awful name. <laughs> investing in people, cultics. I, I usually just default to Rob Campbell Leadership because that's my website and that's where I got to get changed. I got to change the name at some point. But it started when I was writing the book. When I uh, retired, I got out late August of 2016 and started writing the book in January of 17. Because I would have a passion for writing. I had a great story to tell from the successes and failures in Brigade Command, which was a recent experience, right? And so I sat down to do that. And while I was writing, I'm like, you know, I could really teach and consult and coach and help businesses with this. Because as you know, the military, we come out with two main skills, and that's leadership and problem solving. Even if you only did four years or you did 30, you come out with those skills, and a lot of businesses don't have them. You and I have been schooled on leadership, and we've got a chance to practice that. Private businesses don't. You don't get leadership training or education in an MBA. So I knew that I could be value added to an organization. You know, the value proposition is I could come in and show you how to solve problems. I could show you how to lead better in your team. I didn't quite know how to niche that down specifically to what I did. I kind of reached out early and said, all right, you need help. I'll come in. I can do a variety of things. And what I found was I was consulting them across a wide variety of things, recruiting, hiring, onboarding, retaining people, operationalizing things, you know, if they had a project that needed to be done and putting it into some sort of form of an operation, how to communicate. I drifted into executive coaching where I would team up with a guy like you or a business leader and we would connect every other week and get them set on a growth path specific to leadership competencies and help them grow over a long period of time through coaching and some teaching and things. And then I've done some training as well. I just finished some training with the North Carolina Sheriff's Association on a variety of different leadership topics. A lot of it based out of my book, but some other stuff that I've discovered along the way. So I do a wide variety of things in, in investing in people, consulting and coaching. I like the coaching side of it and I really like the speaking side of it. The speaking side has a much longer uh, you're going to get way out there. I mean, people are booking speakers right now for 2021. So it's a long game. You really got to get way out ahead of that. But I, I really enjoy that because I like the word craft and the, the opportunity to get on stage and command an audience, right? It, it gives me a lot of fulfillment that way. So I do a wide variety of things. I just have to find the right client that wants to buy into this because if they're not all in, then there's not much I can do to help them. I got to believe that I can really provide them value. And what I deliver is 30 years of leadership experience and operational experience that can benefit from that. I can do a variety of things. So you mentioned your book, and I really do want to talk about that because mm -hmm. you really get down to, I think, the core component of caring about people, and that's in the title. And so it's, it's personal, not personnel, leadership lessons for the battlefield and the boardroom. So let's talk about the book and why it's personal. Sure. Starts with the title. I had a conversation with a human resource manager, not in my unit, up at Fort Knox, Kentucky, where they were based. I was at Fort Campbell at the time. And they wanted to move a soldier of mine in the month of February. And so on paper, it's clean, right? They need this soldier in this location for all the right reasons. Looks good, right? Legit. But there's more to the story. This guy had a family and a daughter about ready to graduate high school. 
Now you're going to move him in February, pull his daughter out of her senior year in the month of February to a new location. No, he'll probably end up going alone. What kind of soldier arrives at his new duty station having to leave his family behind? So the point I was making to this HR professional said, look, this stuff is personal. It's not personnel. You've got to stop treating it as a digit on an Excel spreadsheet and have a human conversation with somebody. But how does this impact you? What does this move do to you and your family? Could you do this? You might find out he could. What you might find out, well, maybe we need to lay a few months. Now you get a really motivated soldier that because the institution cared for him or her to get to that new place. So that's where it all started is that philosophy. I'm a people-centric leader. And that's a mindset, Pete. It's a lens that I look through. Here's a couple of examples. My brigade was tasked to move across Fort Campbell, Kentucky, from one side of the installation to the other. Massive move of people and equipment, everything, barracks and all that. Massive move. My staff wanted me to help them how to do that, problem solve that, give them some specific guidance in terms of time, all the things that they wanted. The only thing I told them is that I won't assume risk in investing in people. I won't put a soldier into a substandard barracks, let them eat in a substandard dining facility, or put a company into a place where it can't secure its equipment and train for war. That's my guidance to you. You all figure out how to get us from point A to point B, because they were very smart and a very talented staff. They could do that. My focus was the people focus. One third of my calendar was dedicated to investing in people type activities, right? It was important to me, investing in people. We're going to put people at the center. Now, I had to practice that word indeed. One thing to say, it's another to do it. So I would spend that time in sensing sessions, counseling people, family programs, all stuff that was people-centric. Because when I took command in fall of 2014, very tumultuous time, not much different than today. We didn't quite know what the future looked like in Afghanistan. The brigade had just gotten back, so some turmoil from the last deployment. The future was unknown. And coupled with that, you get sexual assault, harassment off-duty conduct issues, suicides and bypass combat deaths. It was ripe for focusing in on people. So I couldn't walk in and tell them what the future looked like, but what I could do, what I could control is caring for people and investing in each of them, letting them know that I had their back and I wanted to help them grow and I was interested in their families and their lives far beyond uniform. And so that was the focus for the organization. And that's where I drove it day in and day out. I must have said it 10, 20 times a day. And eventually it played back to me in word and deed. It's pretty powerful. One of the things that stands out to me that was in your book, and you kind of sort of talked around it, but investing is giving. And to me, that means a lot because I spend a lot of time volunteering with Mm -hmm. veterans. And I think in the military, in the civilian community, it doesn't really matter. But if you are investing in people and you are giving, I mean, that does take effort and time on your part. Mm -hmm. And, you know, whether that's counseling or coaching or mentoring or whatever, you said some things that you did that were investing. And that's really part of it is if, you know, we want to be personal, we want to know them, help them grow, and we have to invest. And I don't think everyone does. No, they, um, because here's the problem, Pete, the private business, the ROI is not immediate. You come in and do a marketing effort, you know, campaign or product improvement or whatever it might be. You see immediate returns on that, right? Your, Your revenue grows up, your sales increase, right? When it comes to people, it's a longer burn rate. Simon Sinek talks about it very well. It's like working out in a gym. You can work out in a gym for three weeks. Look in the mirror, you'll see no difference, nothing. And you're in pain, right? So once you decide, this is not working. It is. It takes a long time to get there. And so that's the mindset of, listen, this growth takes a lot. It's like raising children. You know, one day they just do something and you're like, wow, 
I must have did okay as a parent. Look what they just did. That, that's how this stuff works in leadership. So it's a longer burn. To invest in something is to give time, talent, resources to gain something in return, right? And as you might invest in a garden to take in its beauty or invest in real estate to gain more money, you invest in people to make them better people. That's the return on investment. And that's what I was trying to do in my organization. And I still try it today to just drop pearls of wisdom and help guide people through troubled times. And when they come back and I see them do something that I help them do, it's enormously fulfilling. Absolutely. And so some of the things we've talked about already that come out in your book, and I think that one of the reasons that it would be so great for everybody to read your book is it focuses on you know, knowing yourself and then knowing your people. And, and I think mm-hmm. when you do that, you're doing it the right way. And the results that you're going to get, whether it's a military unit or whether it's a business out in the civilian world, you're going to get much better results. Yeah, I tell people, um, what is step one in leadership 101? Fall semester, you're just starting your leadership journey. It's knowing yourself, the good, the bad, and the ugly. I created a biography sketch, which is in the book. And it's not Rob Campbell, where he went to school, what ribbons he wears, medals on my chest, none of that. It's about me as a person, my strengths and weaknesses. I really was transparent in terms of what I was not good at. I miss small details. I got a sense of humor that sometimes is not appropriate for the moment. I got to push that down. These are all things that I struggle with. I'm a visionary. I'm not necessarily a details guy. So that's not a perfect leader. And that's what I was describing to them in that biography sketch. And it really was my own journey. I dedicated a chapter to how to do that introspection and know yourself. And then what to do with it? Because I've heard a lot of people say, oh, yeah, I'm self-aware. I understand my personality traits and my Myers-Briggs score. That's great. Good for you. What are you doing with it? How does it apply to how you lead? The good, the bad, and the ugly. And how do you surround yourself with people that can protect you from yourself, you know, being the person that you are? So self-awareness is massive. And step one in a continuous journey, in my opinion. Awesome. Yeah. So definitely, if you're listening, make sure you get this book and read this book because there is so much more in it that we haven't even discussed yet. It's very powerful. And I think it'll really give you a, maybe a new sense of perspective on who you are and how you can help others. And then book number two, it's got a long title, but the main title is At Ease with a period, right? Yeah, you heard that a lot in military, At Ease. My publisher actually came up with that. Brilliant. You know, I was just struggling with what to call it. But it's at ease is the main title, and it's enjoying the freedom you fought for. But that's the philosophy. We dedicate our a life of service. You give a blank check to your nation, and you surrender a lot of freedoms and service. When you fought to protect those freedoms, you come out, you really ought to enjoy that freedom. But too often, we rush into a job or do something that somebody thinks we ought to do. But it's a soldier's story of perspectives on, the, on a journey to an encore life and career. And what I talk about in the book is just a way to keep it authentic and real. You know, too many veterans believe that their best days are behind them. How could it be any better than being a brigade commander of the 101st Airborne Division? You know, was that not the pinnacle of my life? Certainly, it was amazing, an incredible experience for me. But the next journey is even better. I'm off doing things that I love doing, and I can take the time I never could in the military with my family to go vacation and do things. I can grow a beard if I want. I've got freedoms I never had before. So this next journey is even better. The gist of the book, when I transitioned after 27 years, there was nothing for me to reference in terms of a philosophy or perspective. There were plenty of checklists and things that I could follow. But I didn't have a book like this, and that's part of the reason why I wrote it, was, hey, how do you even tell the military that you're finished after you've done 27 years? I said, hey, I'm going to bring this to all transition. 
it talks about that and it talks about the whole journey from transitioning out and being on the other side here and entrepreneurship and all kinds of different things in there just about traveling a life journey your wife celebrating your service all kinds of different things disability all things that i just didn't have a perspective on when i transitioned i wanted to offer this to the readers for the transitioning vet coming out so that's what the book's about it's called at ease it's up on amazon right now for pre-order and it comes out in hard copy end of april so i'm really excited about it excellent i'm actually really excited to read that one you just provide so much value in everything that you say so i'm looking forward to it i'll tell you one thing though i think this beard thing is totally out of control it seems like there's so many military guys that get out and then they gotta grow crazy so i'm still shaving every day so that's all i gotta say yeah, well, this comes off every now and then. And I don't have the, uh, you know, I can't grow one of the big ones like a lot of guys do, but you're right. I see them all over on LinkedIn. It's, you know, this big bushy thing on the front. They could finally do it. <laughs> I don't know. Rob, do you feel like your military experience helped you survive or succeed in the civilian world? Uh, yes and no. I'd say overall, yes. The Army did so much for me. I'm eternally grateful for the rigors that it put me through and places that exposed me to and and the people it surrounded myself with. I mean, I was with a lot of high-performing West Point, smart people, academics that really challenged me to grow and expand. I never became complacent. And so I cherish that part. It allows me to problem solve and use a lot of things on the outside that the military taught me. The flip side of that is, you know, I'm an army officer and, and it is me, it is I and veterans that need to assimilate back into the greater society. And if we're ingrained so much in military service, it's letting some of that go a little bit. It doesn't help. I have leadership discussions a lot with veterans that are inside of companies. And we're just astounded by the lack of leadership and problem solving in a lot of companies. But I have to take a step back and say, okay, wait a minute. We're coming at this from years of experience and training and practice at the crucible of leadership. These people have not experienced what we have, so we shouldn't expect that they can operate at the level we do, right? So that's one of the challenges that I face on the outside. We don't quit, right? And this is especially true in entrepreneurship. We just don't quit. We continue going and doing what we do, even to a fault. Well, sometimes in a business, Quitting is exactly what you need to do. You know, stop doing something because you're about to sink a ship. Step back and do that. So it's not about lowering your shoulder and barreling through the wall. It might be about stepping back and being patient. Analyzing risk, it's a different thing. All these things I talk about in entrepreneurship and what the struggles are is where the military doesn't necessarily help you in that respect. And those have been some of my challenges too, entering this new space. Yeah, I've talked to many entrepreneurs and they often say that the military helped them with the leadership side of things, but there were so many things that they had to learn that they had no experience in it, whether it's the financial aspect of how to run a business or in the entrepreneur community, there are things that are much more specific that you need to learn versus maybe if you're just getting out of the military and you just want to find a job working for a company. But I always say that no matter what you do when you get out, that you should potentially take the time to invest and to keep learning so that you can advance yourself and still do better and maybe work your way up in the civilian community to a place where you can use that leadership to make a difference in the company. I agree. How do you connect with the community? How do I connect with the community? So when I transitioned, one thing I did not have was a network, and that is the case for most veterans. How do you do that? Well, I did sign on with a company that helped me do a lot of networking and how to do it. Because, you know, when I was on the planet in 1990, before I came to the military, it was about filling out an application and calling the boss, you know, a bunch of times to see if they hired it. Now, 
It's all about places like LinkedIn and Facebook and networking events in cities that you can go to to start connecting with people. So I started building out my LinkedIn network early on. I got that advice just to get on there. I didn't really have a brand or anything. It was just Rob Campbell. I started connecting with people that were in kind of the same space as me. That niched down a little bit as I got into my leadership business. You know, those were CEOs and some of the HR, but mostly leaders where I started connecting. That's out at 18,000 people now. And I've gone to a lot of networking events in Wilmington, North Carolina, where I live. And they call it speed dating. It's a little weird, right? You just show up, you don't know anybody, and start handing business cards out, having discussions with people. But it's fascinating to learn what others are doing. And I'm always starting with, hey, what are you up to? What are you doing? I just love hearing what people are up to and what they're doing. And then maybe there's a chance that I can help them. So it's about showing up. I think the philosophy is show up every day. You know, network some way, shape, or form every day, whether it's, you know, liking or following somebody on Instagram or it's building out your LinkedIn network, connecting with people in the same space, and then having conversations two to three a week with people that may be in the space that you want to be. My mentors nowadays are not military people. I don't need a general officer to help me anymore. I need somebody that's in private business. And so most of my mentors never served a day in uniform. And I networked with them and connected with them and found value from learning from them. So it's about showing up every day. It's about getting into those networking events, of which there's lots. Your business journal, the Chamber of Commerce, Bunker Labs has a lot of good networking events. There's tons of things you can do out there, but you've got to be vigilant and keep showing up because you've got to expand that network out because it's all about who you know and who can help you on the outside. You know, Rob, you really hit the nail on the head when you talk about networking. And I would say what you said about not needing to talk to somebody necessarily from the military is so absolutely true because the goal is, is that you already have knowledge in one area, but you're getting out and you're going to go into an industry and that is the industry that you need to gain knowledge on. So if you're going to look for a mentor or something like that, somebody to you know help guide you along with what's needed as far as a civilian looks at things, that's who you need to find. And so that's who you want to network with and you need to expand your horizons outside of the military. And that's really the only way to be successful. Absolutely. It's all about the network. So now I'd really like to talk about vet to ceo and how it's helping veterans. You know, this is something that's been out there for a, quite a while, and I know it's definitely helping veterans. And I'd really like to hear all about that and let everyone else know. Yeah, great. Um, so we're six years old. Started way back when. And so we've had over 29 cohorts, you know, classes that have come to over 4,000 veterans that we put through our seven-week course, Entrepreneurship for Transitioning Warriors. I stumbled across it because I met John Panichone, one of the co-founders here in Wilmington, North Carolina. His partner, Mike, is in Georgia, and they've been running the course. These guys are veterans, but here's what makes us unique, which I really loved it because I wouldn't join on with any organization unless I believed in what it was doing. John and Mike are veterans, but they got out a long time ago, and they've got decades of time in business. They've been entrepreneurs for a long time. That's unique because I see too many accelerator programs out there are run by people that are entrepreneurs. They might be veterans, but they haven't had a lot of time in business. These guys have. They know what it's like to sweat out a payroll. They know what it's like with liability insurance. They know what it's like when you hit a recession. All the things that an entrepreneur is going to experience, they've got it. So they run the course. It's seven weeks. It's virtual, so you can join it wherever you are. We've got people that are deployed overseas taking the course with us and all over the place. Service members, or if they're transitioned out already, they can sign on. I take as long as they're a veteran, then we can take them in. 
we run the course like we just are about to finish up on. We get the last module tonight, number seven, and then we do another one in October. So we space them out over the year. We base the course off of the five paragraph field order. We talk about situation, enemy forces, relate that to a business, you know, service and support, finance and accounting and things like that to help these veterans overcome the obstacles that they face in choosing entrepreneurship. So it's a great course. We're going to put a lot of new effort into some content this summer. So we don't just go stale and wait for October. We're going to start up a podcast. Uh, we're going to do a few webinars. And we've got some other ideas, getting out and speaking and getting on some stages out there to talk about the obstacles of entrepreneurship, but why people should join on to it. So that's what I think is unique about our program. And I've really enjoyed my time with the guys. What I've done is I've come in and kind of modernized it a bit, you know, as I fresh out of uniform, just to think about who are these veterans that are coming in and what are the obstacles. And Pete, I want to talk about the obstacles for just a minute because it really informs this discussion in terms of veteran entrepreneurship because the statistics are very low. 25% of vets will choose entrepreneurship. Only about 4% or so will fall through. Very, very low. 250,000 veterans coming off the bases every year, but only a fraction of them choosing entrepreneurship. But a lot of people think about it and want to do it, but there's four main obstacles that stand in the way of that. The first is the language. They don't speak the language of business, right? We, we talk task organization, time on target, mission command. We don't talk runway, burn rate, cap raise, all those things that are very familiar to a business, an entrepreneur. We don't understand money. That's a big deal in entrepreneurship. But as you know, since 9-11, we've been operating off of a blank check. Not once did I have any dollar sign on any operational slide I was shown. I was certainly a good steward of my government budget, but I never worried about payroll. Not once. All of that was never worried to me. Well, now in entrepreneurship, that's first and foremost. You know, that's the top slide. Okay, can we afford this? How much money do we need to raise? That's number two. The next one is uh, risk. We look at risk very differently in the military. I would submit that a veteran is risk averse because we don't do operations unless all the pieces are in place. We certainly do assume some risk. It's never perfect, right? But I rolled operations for five days in combat because the conditions weren't right to get medevac helicopter in. You can't wait five days in a business. You do dangerous missions in the military after an extensive risk assessment. You operate off of a hunch in a business sometimes, not having all the facts and not having a team around you to analyze the risk you're about to assume. You dive in and go for it. So we look at risk very differently. It's a leap we have to make. And then the last part, maybe most important, is the isolation associated with transition. You asked earlier about my transition. It is a very isolated place to be. I'm thankful I have my wife around me, and I'm still connected with a lot of service members, but I don't see them every day. That tribe I'm now out of. Now, in the military, you envision a warrior on a battlefield like Afghanistan. You know, you've either been there or you've seen the videos of it. And what you can see to the left and right of their buddy, they can reach out and touch that person. And behind them is an extensive network of support that will come to their aid and boldens them on facing the dangers that they face. Juxtapose that same person in entrepreneurship. He or she is desperately alone. A banker won't come for them at three in the morning. An investor doesn't care if they can't make payroll. Nobody cares. They're very alone. And that's a frightening place for us veterans. And that's why we shy away from these things. 
And those are the things we're trying to tackle in Vet to CEO. It's a journey we're still on, you know, trying to piece in some of those things. But we see entrepreneurship far outside the seven-week window of when we have them for training. How do they come into it and how do they decide what paths are there? And then how can we help them as they get their certificate from us and move out into the world? Who can we team them up to mentor, to guide them through the process? So long answer to your question, but that's kind of the gist of what Vet to CEO is and what we do. You know, it sounds like an amazing program. And, and to be perfectly honest, a, a lot of the stuff that you said are the exact things that really have held me back from taking the step as an entrepreneur to open my own company because I have lots of ideas and I do lots of things now that help people or veterans. And I have the initiative to make something like that happen. But I just think about all these things that I don't understand or I don't quite know how to right. handle. And it sounds like your program teaches all those things. So I'd probably be a pretty good candidate for the program if I thought I was ready to go there and do that. <laughs> yeah. For the others that might be wanting to become an entrepreneur, what are the qualifications for the program? It's free to all veterans, right? But do you have to have like an honorable discharge or what's the criteria? No, it's free to veterans. Um, we don't do a huge extensive screening. You ask the right questions to make sure we are bringing veterans into the program. We bring military spouses in as well. They're welcome to join us. So it's pretty simple to get in. And, you know, if you've got an idea, you know, for a business, give the program a look and see and go through it. You know, you know we don't hold you to, okay, tomorrow you start business, right? I mean, so it's completely on you. What this does is help inform the journey that you're on to get you ready. A lot of our students are already into business, so they're underway. They just want to go back and kind of get reblued on some things or learn some things they didn't know as they started out. Or some are coming in brand new. They haven't left yet service, but they've got an idea of something they want to do. One of the big things, Pete, is a lot of them come in with startup, and that's one of the problems with entrepreneurship right now. All the discussion is centered around startup, right? It's the vision of Pete or Rob sitting in our uncle's garage, slaving off his internet, putting the next new product together. Next thing you know, they're Mark Zuckerberg. It doesn't work that way. Startup, frankly, is a very difficult path to travel, enormously difficult. So what we talk about are the variety of paths in entrepreneurship. One might be franchise, where you get into a franchise. It might not be something you're passionate about, but it could be the vehicle that helps get you to that real idea that you have, that's that real startup idea. Uh, another one is working in that industry. You want to disrupt the landscape industry, be an entrepreneur, then go pick up a rake and do that for a while. Another one is owner finance, you know, buying a business and then having the owner finance it back to you. I didn't even know that was a possibility while I was transitioning out. I might have considered it. It's a way to get into something and get it financed back to you and then become the owner, the commander, if you will, of that. And it's just lots of different other paths that you can travel. Certainly you can do startup, but it's rough and you got to have some finances built up to be able to do that. Yeah, one of the things that's uh, interesting about that is you talked about franchises. It seems to be very common that the first business might not always be successful and you might have a second business or a third business. And so one of the things that's great about the franchise is that basically the support and the structure is already there. And that is like the kickstart if you kind of want to start your own business. Yeah. And, and then using that support and structure, you can gain that knowledge. And then when you reboot and start another business, then you know. So there's nothing wrong with franchises from my point of view. Well, you think about it, Pete. That's what we did in the military. We went from one franchise to the next franchise to the next franchise. Pete, here is your new platoon. That platoon has existed for decades, long before you showed up. 
It's already there. It's functioned. It's got all the SOPs and everything. It's got its equipment. It's got its pay, everything. It's all there. You just come in and take charge of it. We're used to, in many ways, I submit veterans are a great fit for franchise because they come in and they take over an existing organization and they improve it, just like they did with a rifle company or a platoon or a logistics company or something like that. The parallels are amazing. And I, I didn't see that clearly when I was transitioning, but you know, we're really great fits for franchise. Yeah, you know, I never looked at it that way that you just described. That's very interesting. So from mm-hmm. command to command is it, just kind of doing that exact thing. So exactly right. that's a great one. So aside from participating in vet to ceo what action items would you give transitioning veterans in order to be successful? Well, uh, we mentioned it earlier, but really try to discover why, you know, your why. If you could wake up tomorrow and do anything you wanted and money wasn't an issue, take money out of the equation. Bills are paid, got a roof over your head, you got plenty to eat. What would you do, right? Spend some time answering that question. Or what are those things that you would do? That starts to strike at what your core passion Or another one is, what are the five times in your life that you were in it? Your energy was up, you were confident, you felt good about what you were doing. It was a flow state thing. You were just, man, you were in the zone. What are those five moments in your life? Go all the way back to high school if you have to. And those can tell you something too, in terms of who you are. And stay true to that, because that's what's gonna really bring you fulfillment and happiness on the outside. Spend some time thinking about that, not what do you wanna do, who are you? And then follow that path somehow. It doesn't mean, you know, you have to avoid taking a job. You can, but that could be the vehicle, the stepping stone to get you to that real passionate place. Another piece of advice, Pete, is be careful not to drop an anchor. And what I mean is get out, buy the big house, get that nice cushy job and pays well, got your pension or, you know, whatever that is. I uh, start buying that boat and the car and all that. You're anchored down now. You're stuck in that place. You can't get out because you're going to go through changes that you can't describe yet, that you don't know yet. I did that. I bought a beach house right across the street from the beach. It was wonderful, beautiful. We loved it. Well, two years goes by and my wife and I get the itch to move again because it's in our DNA. And we were fighting it for a while. And then we just stopped one day and said, wait a minute, why don't we celebrate this? and remove this anchor in our lives and go move. So we sold the house, moved into a small apartment, and it's wonderful. So the caution there I give veterans is just be careful what you latch on to and thinking that, okay, this is going to be permanent because you're not the same person that you were as you entered into service. And be aware of that and just let the journey take you. Stay true to who you are, but know that there are some changes ahead for you and where you want to go in your family. Listen to those, embrace those, but be flexible. Don't be anchored down some ways you can make those changes. I think those are the two most important things I would tell a veteran. And again, I'm not against a job. I'm not trying to push everybody into entrepreneurship. And I know not everyone has a pension. I get all that. But I still believe to my core that we can be on a better, more authentic path just by knowing ourselves a little bit better and staying true to those passions. Absolutely, Rob. That's all great advice, honestly. And this next question, really, it's for everybody, not just veterans. With the state of things as they are right now, I'm wondering, do you have any advice to give people or companies based on the situation with coronavirus? Everyone's having to stay home. Companies are laying people off. Just really seems to be an important time not to forget about people and their value. What do you say about that? Great question. Very timely, Pete. I've posted a few things on LinkedIn. If you want to follow me on LinkedIn, it's Rob Campbell Leadership. You can find me there. 
Here's what I advise during times like this, because we've been through a few hurricanes here on the coast since we transitioned out. We've seen some traumatic events, nothing of this scale. But leaders set tone. Leaders set tone, really important. And it ought to be a calming tone. It ought to be a transparent tone of, hey, this is hard. This is what it means to our organization. I want to communicate this to you. But avoid those catastrophic words like catastrophic, epic, biblical. I mean, it just really stokes that angst and anxiety and worry and all that in people. And you can't do that as a leader. You've got to be the calm in the storm to steer this ship through troubled waters. Be transparent. I think that's the next thing a lot of businesses need to do. Maybe it's time to show everybody your financials and say, hey, here's where we're at. Here's the sacrifices we're going to have to make. We're all going to sacrifice together because we're a team. I want this ship to stay together. I want us all to be here. If one of us jumps off the bus, we're not as effective as who we are. So some transparency in terms of what you're going through and talking to your folks a lot. I think constant communication is going to be key. You can't just put one message out at the beginning of this crisis. I think that's going to suffice. You've got to hit that drum. Pete, how are you doing? How's your family? How are you guys getting through this? What's your plan? Anything we can do to help? Just things like that, just listening can go a long way with leaders. I talk about family programs a lot in businesses because I see very few that have any kind of family program like we did in the military. Tragedy doesn't strike just on a battlefield. It can happen on Main Street. And I would hate to have to meet a family member of one of my employees for the first time at a funeral. I'd like to know who that person was well in advance or in times of crisis. This is really where we can get to know families and find out what is behind that employee that shows up to your office every day. That network of family behind him or her is really important. And then the last thing, I think we've got to look for the opportunities and the optimism, even in hard times like this. What does it force us to do? I think we've seen a lot on social media where families are coming together now. And because they're forced to have to isolate, can't go to a lot of places, they've lost choices. They come together and you know they're playing cards or they're doing puzzles or whatever that is, but they're bonding as a family unit. I've had a chance to focus a little bit more on my craft, thinking and writing and reading a lot. I've gotten through a couple of great books, and it's just been very nice. I've enjoyed that time, which I've been yearning for. So this was a good forcing function to put me in that. So this is all things that are the good of this hard time that we're in. And then just believe, be hopeful we'll come through it. Because I think, you know, we're in the greatest nation on the planet. We're going to find our way through this. It's going to hurt. There'll be some people that are down and out. And where we can help them, we really should but we'll get through this together. Yeah, Rob, I want to mention a couple of things that you said. The first thing that really makes sense is really know your employee. And if you know your employee before crisis, that's really so important because we know the value that they bring. And in a crisis, we know what it is that they may be able to do. It might not be something that they normally do, but they can be exceptionally helpful at. And the other thing that you ended with was having some time and then doing some things that you want to do Well, if everyone thinks about that, instead of continuously worrying and concentrating on the news every minute, if they take some time to reflect about where they want to grow, where they might want to do a little learning or education, now's the time to do it while they have the chance, right? Sure. And leaders don't have to have all the answers. I think they are reluctant to put out anything and communicate anything because they just, they don't have all the answers. That's okay. Vulnerability, I think, is one of the strongest traits of a leader. It's like, hey, listen, team, I don't know everything. I don't have all the answers, but here's what I do know. Here's what I don't know. And here's what's keeping me awake at night. Employees appreciate that greatly. 
Right. And I've heard it over and over again that a leader, a CEO doesn't have to be the smartest person in the room and it's probably best if they're not. Yeah, absolutely. I certainly wasn't. So Rob, where can people find you if they want to reach out, if they want to either connect with you, talk to you, or how can they find your book? Two main places I hang out. You can find me on LinkedIn, Rob Campbell Leadership, and my website, robcampbellleadership.com. There's a link for my first book in there, Personal Not Personnel. It's up on Amazon as well, on hard copy and audio version. And then book number two will be out end of April. It's available now for pre-order on Amazon. I'm getting my website updated with a link to that book on there. But those are the two places to go. Rob at robcampbellleadership.com is my email. Reach out and holler if I can help. Well, Rob, I really want to say I appreciate you taking the time to come on today. I mean, with everything that's going on, some of us did have a little bit more downtime. And I plan on continuing to do this regardless because trying to help and educate veterans on what's out there. And you have certainly provided some excellent value to them as far as your knowledge and the things that you've spoken about. And they can read your book and I just think that it gives a whole new perspective on things that people don't think about every day. And that's really one of the things that could help them improve and become a better person and a better leader and to really fit in well in the civilian community. So thank you so much. My pleasure, Pete. You got a great program here and I'm so happy to take part of it. So I'll if I can help. Hope you've enjoyed this episode. Be sure to keep coming back each week for more great episodes. If you want to talk about something you learned today, if you have questions, or if you would like to be a guest on our podcast, go to AmericanHeroesNetwork.com and click on Contact Us. Thank you for listening.